moment inside Parliament, a weekly catch-up about the political stories that we've been covering on One News. We're coming to you from the legendary Beehive studio. It's our first one for 2019. I'm Jessica Much Mackay. I'm Mikey Sherman. And I'm Benedict Collins. Hi, guys. So let's start off with our highs and our lows, our pits and our peaks. And since we haven't been around for a while, let's, let's broaden it out and have it over the last couple of months. Who wants to start with their high? I'll start with my high because okay. I'm peaking, guys. I'm peaking with the love. Not only because it was Valentine's Day yesterday. This is very random. I don't know why I started off like that. But anyway, started. we've started off the roller coaster. I'm going to get it going. I'm feeling the love. It's good to be back here at Parliament uh, speaking with Dan Bidwell from National yesterday. He was excited. It got me excited. It's good to be back here. Hope everyone had a, a safe and enjoyous. Uh, enjoyable, enjoyous, enjoyous. That's all right. Jesus, uh, Christmas and New Year period. What's your high? <laughs> right, so, <Segway. laughs> yeah. so I think um, for me, uh, there was another development in a story that I've been following. For, I don't know, four or five years um, as a reporter, and that was the um, bizarre Saudi sheep deal um, that un- mm. the National Party um, engaged in. I think they kicked it off in like 2010, which saw a Saudi billionaire um, and the world's largest livestock importer uh, be given millions of dollars in cash. Um, uh, National famously hired a Singapore Airlines plane and flew him 900 heavily pregnant sheep, which arrived up in the Saudi do- uh, desert, and all their lambs, well, nearly all their lambs, immediately uh, died up there in another train wreck. Um, we also gave him all this agricultural equipment. Uh, this this week, um, we, we broke the story that the government's um, basically had a look at this bizarre deal and said enough is enough, and pulled the pin on the final um, stage of delivery, um, which was. We, we we had built him a uh, kit set abattoir and we were, we'd set aside some money to uh, fly it up to him or, or deliver it up to him and install it up in the Saudi desert. Um, they pulled the pin on that. Um, uh, so I think, I'm not sure exactly where the abattoir is now. Apparently it's sitting in a shipping container at the moment, maybe on the way there, but New Zealand taxpayers aren't paying for it. Saved us a million bucks, um, but already we've given the guy 10 million. Uh, and it was pretty funny uh, in question time this week. Um, well, I enjoyed it. Uh, the government had a whale of a time talking about this deal and how they pulled the pin on it. And they were jumping from the minister, David Parker, uh, to Winston Peters, to James Shaw, you know, all the government jumping in and all the national MPs sort of sitting there, uh, you know, looking at their phones or, you know, uh, you know, drawing little things on pieces of paper, not really engaging and all looking a little sheep. Shall we say? Oh, there yeah, you so, go. Yeah. There so you that, go. That, that was my uh, highlight of this week. And it was a good one for you to break as well this week, coming back into it start of the year. And One News broke that story originally as well. That's so it's right. a nice yeah, one meant, to yeah, tie yeah, it together. Yeah, quite a few years ago. Yeah, yep. yeah. Um, I had a couple of, of highs. Um, firstly, we got new office space in the press gallery. So for those of you who don't know, um, we all get a room. And because we've um, expanded a bit, we did a swap with some of the other members in the press gallery. And that was really exciting um, to get a little bit more space um, so that we can all have a little bit more room behind our desks. So that's been an interesting thing. And it, But a couple of times I have gone and walked into the wrong office accidentally. So we'll get used to it slowly over time. Um, also interesting to note, even in the bigger office, that... Yeah all the women in the office all hairspray their hair right next to my desk. Yeah, we're working on that. <laughs> nice, and, nice um, fumes. Yeah, sorry uh, about that. Hmm. Occupational anyway, moving hazard along. of yes. so many women in the, in the office. But the other high I had was um, just when we're up at Waitangi Day, um, Mikey and I went up and, and covered that. And I think standing and doing my last live um, after, I think it was our day 
three. Um, well, day three for me, you went up for a lot longer. But um, standing there after that, and it was on the um, treaty grounds, and it, it's, it was beautiful, and looking out over the um, water, and yep, we'd been up since dawn, so a little bit tired. But just sitting there and being like, wow, that's pretty cool that we get to come to Waitangi on Waitangi Day. And it's one of those moments, I, I try and... I'm trying to be quite present with those things and appreciate them, but it's one of those moments you're like, yeah, we're pretty lucky to do what we do um, and to be there and, and be part of that. So that was, for me, a nice little reflective moment. Ooh, it was good. Very nice. Yes, Waitangi. Yeah, yeah, that was it. It was, we're going to talk a bit more about that later because we had a, yeah, we had a mm. good Waitangi few days of coverage. It was good. Um, let's start off, though. Um, at the beginning of the year, um, there's a couple of things. You've got Ratana, which is, kind of marks the first stage of, of politics coming back together. And then the parties have their retreats. So they go away for a couple of days, usually, um, and they invite the media along. Um, sometimes there's good stories, sometimes there's not. Um, I went along to the Labour retreat um, in beautiful Wairarapa, um, but perhaps not quite the story that the Labour Party were wanting to come out of that. So have a look at this story on Kiwi Build. The suits are off for the summer retreat, but the message to MPs, it's time to deliver. There is a long list of areas where we are now in uh, rightly um, in delivery mode. But critically on the key policy Kiwi built, the government's already behind. It promised a 1,000 homes by July this year. Last week, that was downgraded to 300. But we've now learned the plan to build 5,000 homes by June 2020 and 10,000 by June 2021 is scrapped too. Those interim targets haven't been a useful way to demonstrate our delivery program, and that's why the minister's looking at that again. So, so they're now scrapped. As, I've, as we've already said, that hasn't been a useful way to demonstrate the delivery of our program. I would regard it as a recalibration. Look, it's just incredibly embarrassing. I think it shows that the government doesn't even believe in we build anymore. The minister is going back to cabinet after rethinking the program and he's not sure if they'll set new targets. I'm just completely focused at the moment on the things that we need to do to get Kiwi Build building more affordable homes. The Prime Minister is clear that the end goal remains the same. Our 100,000 over 10 years is unchanged. It's not easy. If it was easy, maybe the former government would have done it. But National says it's another failure for Kiwi Build. They're saying, look, in a decade, look back, we might get there. Well, no one will ever know because they won't get a decade to implement Kiwi Build. A bug interrupting okay. proceedings. <laughs> Were you creating a distraction? No, there was a, I can't tell if it was a bug or a bee, but it was something down the, okay. my front. Yeah. They both hope Kiwi Build won't continue to be a distraction as the government tries to deliver in 2019. So what was interesting, I think, how that story developed is we were standing and interviewing the minister and the prime minister standing next to each other. And I think we all knew that that, that story was coming. You know, right, what are the new targets now? Um, he'd said earlier, he'd revealed that they weren't going to meet that initial target of this year. But what does that mean in the future? And scrapping the rest of those targets, that was quite a big story. But the way it just kind of felt like the more we peppered with questions, the more he revealed until we got to the point he was like, right, we're going to recalibrate. Um, so it was one of those, I feel sometimes in interviews, um, politicians come and they're like, right, we're going to say this, this and this. And you, it's revealed quite quickly at the top. I felt with this one, it was more 
he revealed a little. Oh, what do you mean by that? Revealed a little more. What do you mean by that? Wow, this is a, this could be a big story. And it it felt like it was an organic interview rather than sort of a, a an arranged press conference. And I just think that's interesting given it's such a big program for the government, and yeah. they ne- and it just wasn't. It kind of just came out. Yeah, and I think also, uh, you know, the government I think had clearly created a, a rope for its own neck with these with these targets that it kept wanting to hit with with KiwiBuild, uh, and I, I think you know it takes such a long time to ramp up an enormous project like this, and probably you know when they first came in and when they're in opposition, they probably had no idea how difficult it is to to start getting so many houses built, you know, on such a grand scale. If they actually and, thought they were going to have to deliver on those promises, which is the other aspect of it. Yeah, you know? and, and, and I think, you know, clearly here they've gone, hey, we're just getting hammered on this and there's no end in sight to us just, you know, missing these targets and just constantly, you know, being attacked on it by national and, you know, being held to account on it by the media as well. So I think they thought, hey, guys, we've got to get out of this and, you know, set the, the lofty tenure goal, leave that in place, but not have those you know, early targets you're wanting to hit. I think part of the drawn out attack that they have endured is their own doing though, um, and you've both sort of touched on it, in that Phil Twyford, you know, he sort of gave drips and drabs of, you know, these targets being scrapped, he sort of, the first mention of it from memory was on in an interview that he did with Morning Report, I think, and we sort of came together later that morning and thought, hey, was Phil Twyford basically indicating that he wasn't, that the government wasn't going to hit that first year target, and then we sort of uh, pressed him on it. And then he gave bits and pieces instead of coming out and sort of doing one clean sweep of it all and and making it clear. It sort of had to be dragged out of him, um, and that's what's caused it to to sort of drag out as a story. And it's just a, it's a big cluster this mm. Kiwi build. I mean, it's you know it's one thing to expect huge change in one year when you're dealing with a housing crisis, one of the biggest issues facing the country. Of course, you can't expect the government to sort of turn the tables overnight, or, or in one year, in fact. Um, but just the fact that they've, the way that they've gone about it, the fact, you know, the issues with Stephen Barclay, I mean, it's just one thing after another. We spoke about it at the end of last year. They really need to get it together this year. And it's, I think we saw it summed up quite well in that um, campaign ad that was released by National. Behind the scenes, Labour are saying, well, look, yep, we're only going to be able to build the 300 houses by um, July this year rather than the 1,000. But isn't that better that we're trying to build them rather than doing nothing? That, so that's their message. At least we're giving it a go and people like that we're building houses. On the flip side, the National is trying to capitalise on the fact that, ah, oh, you've only built, you know, you've only built a handful of houses. Some of those weren't even new ones that you've done. And that kind of water cooler chat is, I think, people are talking about it. And we saw that in that um, mansplained ad Um but I, you know what I mean? Like, I think it sums up what people are talking about. Yeah, I think National's probably pretty uh, delighted um, at, at all the um, outrage um, over that head. And people are really divided, right? Lots of people think, hey, that's outrageously sexist. You you made the woman that ad look like a real bimbo. Um, other people don't see anything wrong with it at all. Um, but I think just that, yeah, I think I'd just be really pleased at how much um, sort of talk it's generated, eh? Yeah. yeah. So just to give a bit of black background for um, those of you listening and watching, um, National just recently put out an ad, and we sort of covered it in a story last night on One News. Um, but it's their latest uh, campaign 
ad and basically it does it has a man um, explaining to a, a young blonde woman um, the ins and outs of Kiwi Builder and the fact that the government isn't going to hit its promised targets and I sort of went out and I spoke to a number of people in the streets and Benedict's mm. right you know we had a really mixed um, view many of them on the first watch they didn't actually get the vibe that it was sexist even though that's what Julianne Genta Minister for Women um, has labelled it Phil Twyford's labelled it sexist mansplaining uh, the public though didn't didn't seem to see it in that way when I asked them which was quite surprising so I watched it the other night and my first I watched it the first time I thought oh okay didn't really think twice and then I saw lots of people tweeting oh that was really sexist I went back and watched it and I thought Oh yeah, I can kind of see that too. Yeah, see, <laughs> I know. was similar. I watched it for the first time, having having seen the commentary around it right. first, and yeah. then watched it, and you're like, oh yeah, that's untidy. But for some people watching it, you know, as you yeah. showed in your story last night, some people watching it for the first time just were like, oh yeah, okay, you do what you want to hmm. do. But getting an ad that you were just planning on putting on social media on primetime television on and and throughout newspapers probably um, maybe a little they may be a little bit happy about that just quietly oh, and you have to you have to um, agree to some extent that that is part of the strategy I mean I asked Paula Bennett that yesterday whether you know sort of drumming up controversy is all part of the strategy to get eyes on on the ads and she said no but of course it is I mean nationals been hmm. known to do that sort of thing with the dancing Cossacks back in the 1970s the iwi kiwi ads and so on I mean they just they know how to run a campaign that you know picks up interest whether good or bad yeah. I think this Kiwi did you want to add something onto that or no so I think this Kiwi build has been a bit of a headache for the Labour Party at the beginning of the year but I think um, National Party also had its issues that it had to deal with so let's have a look we sent Benedict along to Hamilton sorry about that um, to cover <laughs> the National Party retreat so let's have a look at his story on that <laughs> Finally fronting, but not saying much. Um, if there is a police investigation underway, then it would be inappropriate to comment at all. What do you oh, think thank you. Oh. And not for long. Sarah Dowie not sharing her side of the story about what happened with Jamie Lee Ross. What is known is the police are investigating an abusive text Ms Dowie allegedly sent Mr Ross when their affair ended. Her bosses are backing her, saying she's not bringing National into disrepute. No, I don't think that. I mean, I think, you know, what, what we've got, as I say, is something all New Zealanders can can see for what it is. Um, you know, it's a tough situation for her, but she's going to show uh, Invercargill the champion she um, has been, is, and will continue to be for them. No, she's fine. Everything's good. Mr Bridges also confirming the police are still looking into Jamie Lee Ross's complaint about the way National handled a $100,000 donation. They haven't spoken to me, we've certainly spoken to the National Party and I'm uncertain about exactly where they're at with that now. Jamie Lee Ross declined to be interviewed when contacted today but he did say that he will cooperate fully with any police investigation. But behind the closed doors here, in National's caucus retreat, the party is laying the groundwork for 2019 with an eye towards next year's general election. So just what is their plan of attack? Being better than the other lot is the best plan of attack. You're holding the government to account and basically getting out and listening to the people. I think there's plenty of uh, weak links and cracks um, starting to appear. The guest speaker tonight is Australia's former Foreign Minister, Julie Bishop, here to discuss international affairs. There are 
many global challenges facing political parties around the world, including centre-right parties, as the Liberal and National parties are, uh, the uh, US-China trade conflict, uh, the struggle to find an orderly Brexit. But it was a domestic affair that overshadowed the opening day of National's retreat. Yeah, so that was um, from the first day of the um, National uh, Caucus retreat in Hamilton there. Obviously, um, uh, Sarah Dowie returning, and for the first time sort of answering questions, and she made it really clear she wants to you know, stay on as the MP for Invercargill. Obviously, um, you know, there is a police investigation going on in the background regarding that text message she sent to Jamie Lee Ross. Um, and also, you know, Simon Bridges also confirming, you know, there's still that investigation going on to the donation. So it was a pretty, you know, a pretty messy start to their caucus weekend because the, the week before that I'd covered um, uh, Simon Bridges' um, State of the Nation address where he had announced an old, an old policy, where, you know, um, tax brackets would go up with inflation. So, you know, it was it was pretty well received and even if, you know, it was formerly a, a Labour policy that um, National had rubbished as, um, uh, you know, is ridiculous um, but you know that, that had quite a good start so I thought it was kind of interesting tactically from them to wait for Sarah Dowie to to not do interviews on it before that and to come out and to sort of in a way I guess it kind of overshadowed the first day of their caucus retreat uh, as a journalist I was rather glad that that happened because at these caucus retreats you're locked outside the rooms uh, for several days on end uh, and it's you don't really know what they're discussing it's kind of hard to you know, come up with interesting news from them. So it was, um, from a journalist's uh, point of view, it was, you know, an interesting story to get stuck into there. Because it was interesting, I reckon, with those, you you contrast and compare. So on the day that the Labour Party had their retreat, we had the Kiwi Build story, mm. and National had the story um, about, with policy, and, and you'd think if you compared those two days, it felt like National had a win that day. Good start, kicking off with something that they wanted to talk about. Then I guess you you contrast and compare to the State of the Nation speeches that they did and then the Prime Minister had her State of the Nation speech at a similar time to the National Party um, having their retreat and on that the Prime Minister got to get her message out reasonably clearly where National had to talk about the Sarah Dowie issue. So it almost felt like when you look at them side by side they had a a win and a loss I guess for both sides and that you had a messy day and perhaps something that went well. So it's interesting to see how, um, you know, at the beginning of the year, it's really important for those political parties to come out and have a strong start and look like they're setting the agenda, particularly for the government. And it felt like they were a bit late in doing that this year. Obviously, this issue will be ongoing and it'll be interesting to see uh, when the police investigation will wrap up because, you know, we didn't hear much from Sarah Dowie that day. She's basically sort of deferred to the fact that there was an investigation underway. She couldn't say anything. Once that's done, it'll be interesting to see, you know, just the type of questioning that, that we, we do put to her as uh, the press gallery here at Parliament and also how much context she'll be willing to give. Uh, and then, of course, as, as journalists, you know, we're always sort of debating the morals of, of the issue. It's, it's, it's obviously something sort of outside Parliament. You know, you could debate it both ways as to whether it's appropriate, whether it, you know, has uh, public, you know, interest. public interest in, in, in terms of media coverage and how much you give it and how far into the issue and, and the context you go. Um, really sort of going to be feeling our way around that one once that police investigation wraps up. They won't be able to hide behind that is basically what I'm saying and it'll be time to answer some questions. Yeah, it is interesting. I think we've, I feel like we've covered quite a few stories about National Party MPs 
in recent years getting into trouble with the police. We had Chester Burroughs, um, you know, prosecuted and taken to court where he was found not guilty after he drove his car Driving, through the yeah. um, Trans-Pacific Partnership protesters. You had um, famously Todd Barclay um, refusing to cooperate with the police, dragging um, at the time um, Bill English into the dramas after it was alleged he had recorded staff. Um, you know, he pretty quickly left Parliament. Now you've got Sarah Dowie under investigation and the National Party donations being looked into. It's you know, uh, un- unusually high um, number of police investigations for a pretty small team of people. Yeah, and it's just, I, th- I think, you know, what we've all found, it's a it's a messy and complicated story and we've definitely mm. had some um, strong debates in our office trying to figure out um, the way to cover it. And I'm sure um, other press gallery offices and other news offices have... Um, over the last few days, da- well, few days, few weeks, few months, it's yeah. it's a tricky one, and um, and yeah, I think we've all had to grapple with it a bit because they're not they're not fun stories to cover, but they're newsworthy. These guys represent us yeah. um, at the highest level. And Interesting to see <clears throat> Jamie Lee Ross return to Parliament. I mean, yeah. should we have a quick little discussion yeah, about yeah. that? Who, yeah. who was sort of you know well, what what have you made of his uh, entry reentry back into into Parliament? Well, it was pretty it was pretty quiet, wasn't mm. it? I mean, he, he kind of came in and said, "Oh, hey, I'm here to here to do my thing um, and represent the people of Botany." Mm. Uh, but was it last weekend where he had tweeted out? Yeah. Um, mm. You know, uh, I think Simon Bridges had on um, social media, on Twitter, it sort of questioned the government's action over a mental health review. Um, mm. And then Jamie Lee Ross jumped in on him, oh, who are you to, you know, talk about mental health kind of thing? Yeah. Um, you know, so he's, he's clearly still here to, you know, target Simon Bridges when he can as well, I think, and, you know, make life difficult. And I did watch him smirking uh, at, the, at the back of, um, uh, during question time the other day, um, when I think Winston had a dig yeah. at um, Simon Bridges over his, uh, the value of Indians versus... Chinese Ch- Indians versus Chinese yeah. um, comments that um, Jamie Lee Ross had recorded the taped interview of when Winston brought that up I saw him laughing down the back yeah quite, quite enjoying it mm. yeah and I think when you it, it was we were allowed to film him walking into Parliament for the first time and you could just see it was pretty awkward, awkward for a lot of his colleagues and um, you know there's the fact that you know they've obviously known him and worked with him for a long time so you want to show a little respect he's also been unwell but at the same time he's caused so much drama for the party mm. that there must be a group of them who just never want to um, engage with him ever again and it'll just be interesting to see if that if that um, solidifies over the next few months if he keeps chipping away or if he just kind of fades into oblivion a little bit and he's just not on our radar anymore. You well know? we've already seen him chip in with a few supplementary questions this mm. week uh, during question time uh, and then with that tweet um, so those things combined sort of uh, raise the flag that actually he's back and he's here to have his say he's not going to be sitting in the back left corner which is where he is quietly um, he's going to be participating uh, I saw him walk across the bridge run which is basically when um, media stop uh, the MPs um, uh, ministers and, and the government on their way into the house he sort of takes that route he's not taking the back route into Parliament all these little things that are interesting just to note and then of course when he did walk into into the debating chamber uh, there were a few sort of handshakes pecks on the cheek with the various MPs from the National Party, which would have been, as you say, sort of uncomfortable, um, but necessary as well. It's a very delicate dance, I guess, that everyone's having to do. Um, And then we'll see how it all pans out. Well, we mentioned it a little bit earlier on, but um, Waitangi obviously dominates the beginning of our political coverage 
each year um, and Mikey went up for a long stretch of time but this is her story from Monday that seemed to be quite a centre point of our Waitangi coverage. Have a look at this. Treaty of Waitangi is often a polarising issue, but do we actually know what it's all about? Article 1 of the treaty, what does it say? Uh, I actually don't know the articles. Article 2 of the treaty, what does it say? That's guarantees rangatiratanga. I've, to- I've got a total mind blank. Yes, even those at the highest level of government struggle, including the Prime Minister. The Article 1 of the treaty, what does it say? Oh, Article 1, on the spot. Kawangatanga, sorry, excuse me. The Post-Primary Teachers Association is calling for the treaty to be a compulsory part of the curriculum. Currently, it's optional, with schools deciding whether or not to teach it. It's written into the Education Act, it's written into PPTO's constitution, and it just makes um, absolute sense that that our, our children and their children should be informed about what it is to be a citizen of New Zealand. I would certainly have an expectation and a hope that it is learnt across our schools as part of our curriculum. Psychiatrist Dr Hinemoa Alda says for many the treaty conversation is still tough. Clearly if we, if we don't feel comfortable to teach our own history in schools then there must be some significant difficulty in even talking about it. The Ministry of Education says while it doesn't collect data on which schools cover the Treaty of Waitangi there are several areas of the curriculum which aims to build students' understanding and knowledge of local history. How can we move forward and heal and um, comprehensively think about a healthy future when so much of our past and our current daily lives is, is cloaked in mystery. Something many hope will change with growing calls for the Treaty of Waitangi to have pride of place in our schools. Yeah, so um, quite a big uh, topic to come out of Waitangi um, for that week. Uh, it was something that that was that was a question um, and a story that I'd put actually quite a lot of thought into. I wanted to come to Waitangi um, and do something sort of meaningful, and and we sort of t- spoke about it as a team that we wanted to you know have a point of difference. The next day we did a story about. Um, uh, uh, Constitution with Sir Geoffrey Palmer, we had Jenny Shipley in there. Um, but just going back to uh, the article question, I mean, t- she's the Prime Minister of the country basically. It was an important question to ask. I sort of got a bit of flack over uh, some people labelling it a gotcha moment. It certainly wasn't that. We were at, you know, well, let, the treaty ground. Let's play this out because I reckon it's one of those interesting things. I'll, I'll ask you the questions and you answer them. So, why? Oh, but, you know, the Prime Minister shouldn't be expected to know every little bit of the treaty. So what do you say to that? But she should because she's the Prime Minister. She deems to be acting uh, as a leader for the country on the issue of, uh, you know, bicultural relationships with Māori, between Crown and Māori, the government in Māori. She's, you know, the head of the country. She has to know these things. And if she doesn't know these things, then why should we expect anyone else to know these things? So it's hugely important. Uh, I'll tell you who did know these things. 
things. Willie Jackson knew it when I asked him. Calvin Davis knew it. The Māori MPs in her caucus knew it. She's the Prime Minister. She should know it. It's an important part. The other point of the story was that uh, it was the question around whether the Treaty of Waitangi should be compulsory in schools because at the moment it, it's an option, basically. If teachers want to teach it or schools want to teach it, then they can, but they don't have to. And that, that that's, I feel like that's a huge question as a country that we need to ask ourselves as to whether or not we value our history and time to do that is Waitangi, is at, up at Waitangi. I mean, what better place to do and, it? And of course, the questions you were asking were entirely in context with that point, Absolutely. right? You know, it was all about, you know, how much education, how much do we teach people about it? You know, and that's what made and, it valid. And I think <laughs> bigger picture, we don't see the Prime Minister... Um, caught out, I'm not sure if that's the right phrase, but we don't see the Prime Minister in a situation where uh, she's very media savvy, she's very comfortable, and um, we don't see her looking a little bit awkward in front of the camera very often. And that was another telling bit. And, you know, she, she got the answer and then, you know, recovered and then when you asked the second part again um you know because you asked it twice and I think well we actually after, after the f- question around the first article then we went back to and we said and article two and she couldn't answer that one as well so she had more than one opportunity but she couldn't do it the other thing is that I think if we had have asked John Key or Bill English, I don't know whether they would have known the contents of the articles, but they certainly would have fudged their way around answering it. The Prime Minister was basically looking like a possum in headlights. Um, what about Simon Bridges, though? Simon Bridges had already done his homework. See, we also got a number of people saying, why didn't you ask Simon Bridges? Well, folks, he wasn't there. But um, the next day, Mike, The next day asked we him. asked him, <laughs> and he, he, he rattled it off perfectly, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then we said, have <laughs> yeah. you been studying and, and he like, said what, what do you, do you think, think? <laughs> so, so you know. obviously you can just imagine him going home and be like okay I've got to memorize yeah. all of this off yeah. in case I'm asked again so you kind of it would have been more fair mm. to ask him on the same day when we when he didn't know about the prime minister but because he wasn't there we could and in so. defense of the prime minister I mean I had a few of my own mates sort of turn around to me and say god I need to sharpen up on the articles because I don't even know them and and some of them are Maori as well so you know but in saying that, she's the Prime Minister, she's the head of our country. Um, so and just go. as a side note, at school, when we were at school, uh, we had to learn all of the articles uh, in a little rap version in Māori. <laughs> so if anyone wants me to sort of rap <laughs> battle for them <laughs> yeah. at some point... I totally do. You might Give have to buy a me a sample. beer. <laughs> a <little> <laughs> Wait, that's so just long. First, maybe just the first bit. Okay. Na wire muho pi hona te kawana i pakarite kia haina tia te tiriti. I could go, I could go awesome. on, but wire muho pi hona is William Hobson. Okay, so yeah. this is. Don't worry, I think we'll get an extended version. This might <laughs> yeah. be an Instagram story or something. This we'll is we'll awesome. save it for over at the backbencher. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing that we um, forgot at the beginning, which was my fault, was the pits of the week. So we'll end up with this. This has been a story that we've been um, we covered earlier in this week with a. Committee. Do you want to yeah, start Yeah, so off? this was the um, Finance and Expenditure Committee, right? Mm-hmm. So big, big, important select committee. So uh, it was Wednesday morning, right? Yeah. So Wednesday morning, basically, the Labour MPs in New Zealand First turn up. I think there's four of them, and the National MPs were there. National pretty quickly realise that the, the, the governing parties don't have enough MPs, so they walked outside, which basically meant there wasn't a quorum. So quorum the, is like a majority. Uh, yeah, or, or, or the required number of MPs you need on the select committee for it to go ahead. So the National Party MPs walked outside to prove a point, and it basically shut down the committee. So all these people had come to Parliament to submit 
submit to the select committee. Uh, there were going to be some senior uh, government ministers there later as well. National walked out, so it all got called off, right? And and this is where it gets interesting because people are divided over whether the government was lazy and didn't get the governing parties were lazy and didn't get the uh, required numbers into into the select committee on time, or whether national should have should have stayed in there, you know, and were disrespectful. So national couldn't have done the political stunt that they did if Labour had had enough people in there in the first place. So your job as the government, your responsibility, is to make sure your people are there on time. Those are the rules. But national... Well, as chair. As chair. As chair, so right? It's, it's, a, it's a parlamentary yeah. thing. So, so sorry, I should, yeah. I should yeah. rephrase this, um, particularly for one press secretary. But um, so it's it, it's the governing... So Labour is, is the chair and they have they have to have the right amount of people there to be able to sit. So they, National, couldn't have walked out if all of the Labour MPs were there. So I think... Yeah, I well, think, they couldn't have shut it down, Yeah, eh? so they yeah. pulled a political stunt. They yeah. look bad for pulling the political stunt. Um, Labour looks bad for not being able to get enough people there on time, and it all blows up into a big, fat political mess. Yeah, so it sounds like the, uh, one Labour MP had called in sick, and it sounds mm. like that Labour MP didn't give their colleagues much time uh, in order to get replacements. But that happens, there. you know. People people get sick. You've got to make sure you've got people that I you don't can know, call I think on. He, I, think, I think it was Tamati Coffee, and I think he called in half an hour before. I mean, half an hour should be enough time to call yeah. up a replacement. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, just be, I'd just go out into the hall and be like, you, get in here, let's go. So it was an interesting morning in the press gallery because we had, first of all, Labour MPs come around tell us their side of the story about what, how disgustingly uh, disrespectful the National MPs had been, had been by uh, walking out. And then the National MPs pretty quickly trucking in later saying how, how sick they are of Labour guys not being there on time and they're sick of the disrespect they're showing, so they had to prove a point. Um, uh, yeah, not... Uh, obviously, the Prime Minister made it pretty clear to us this week that uh, the whips had, uh, so it's poor Michael Wood, the Labour Labour MP's chair of that committee, right? Yes, he is. And uh, sounds like he got a yeah, pretty severe bollocking for not, um, you know, ha- having the numbers there on time. Prime Minister made it really clear she's got, you know, get out of bed on time, get there um, and, and do your job. Um, and you, you look at from the other side, Simon Bridges, I think, you know, sort of backed his MPs and pulling the stunt. And I'm not kind of... You know, I sort of agree. Hey, Labour, you 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 slack. Get there on time. You're really really well paid by the public. But so are these national MPs, right? These, I don't know. These guys are probably getting five hundred bucks a day from the public to come and do their jobs, and they're, and they're not doing it. And I, that's, I mean, and that's you know. maybe why we can all agree that it's our pit of the week that makes everyone look bad. Yeah, and I think, and I think have... yeah, I think your workers around the country, you know, who, who you know, I don't know, who are driving bread trucks or working in factories or or you know doing an honest day's work, must look at this sort of behaviour and go, what a bunch of prats. Better wrap it up because we've been very excited this week. We've got a lot to chat about, but don't worry, we'll be back next week. So it's been great to have you with us on Inside Parliament, our weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering on One News. We're on Facebook, Twitter and on Instagram. It's available every Friday evening on the One News Facebook page. And check us out on your favourite podcasting app. We'll see you guys next week. (laughs) 